Hi, this is Paul, and this is Rough Draft for Sunday, where I run through the current version of my Sunday sermon. One of the interesting things to do at the end of the year is to take a look at political cartoons. Uh, every year you'll have the you'll have the sort of symbolic old man with a sigh, sort of as a old man grim reaper who's this this current year going away, 2022. And the new year as a, a little a little boy, usually with a top hat and coming in, that's the new year. If you look at cartoons, uh, people have a real sense of anxiety and pessimism about the year to come. Uh, some of that, you can go back uh, 2020, 2021 with, with COVID, but even before COVID, if you go back um, into, the, into the teens, a lot of anxiety about the future. It's it's just there in, it's just there in the culture. Um, everybody's every, nobody nobody wants to know what's coming around the corner. The expectation is that it's going to be bad. Now we're beginning. We began the new year, the church calendar new year, at the beginning of Advent, and this year, New Year's Day falls on Sunday. And we're going to begin in the book of Matthew. And the first words out of the book of Matthew are, if you sort of very literalistically translate it, the book of Genesis of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of, Ad, son of Abraham. Now, Genesis, you can translate Genesis as sort of genealogy. It's and if you look at the book of Genesis, you find all of these, these genealogies in the book of Genesis. Now, of course, Genesis is the, Greek trans, is the Greek version of the name of the book. But that's the way the Gospel of Matthew begins. And it begins with a very interesting genealogical chart. And as verse 17, as verse 17 says, there are 14 generations in all from from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, it's very interesting. There's, it's, it's clearly a very structured genealogy, and the shape of the genealogy is intended to communicate something about the context and the reason and the, basically how, Matthew is understanding Jesus when he comes, why he comes, what he is coming to. This week, in fact, as part of a preparation for this, I did a video on genealogies and genetics. Um, one of our individuals in our local Sunday school class brought this book by Joshua Swamidas about the genealogical Adam and Eve. What I had noticed when I read the book is that all of the talk about genetics that we've had over the last 10 years has sort of given within me a kind of assumptions about the relationships between genetics and genealogies uh, that, that aren't really true. They're very, very different. Genetics can tell us a lot about some things, but as in the picture here, um, my uncle, my father's brother, uh, might be very genetically similar to me, but he is genealogically as far from me as any other person is in terms of that is 
at least basically the same generation as my father and mother, but not my father and mother. And so actually this world of genetics and genealogy in some ways sort of inhabit two somewhat overlapping, but two very distinct frames. And the Bible is, is full of genealogies. And a lot of times when Christians read the genealogies, they just sort of pass over them. These are names, these are random names, and when they dig into them, the genealogies don't necessarily match, and so they wonder, well, what's with this genealogy? What are these genealogies trying to say? Now, most of the time, when you preach, and when I've preached, I've preached plenty of sermons about this, when I've preached about the genealogies, um, a lot of what comes up in this Matthew genealogy is the very unusual presence of four women. And they're notable women, and they're notable for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, generally speaking, in biblical genealogies, not a lot of women appear. And the four women that appear in this genealogy of Jesus are clearly making a statement. Tamar is the first. It's not um, Rachel. It's not Leah. It's not Rebecca. Of course, Rachel, well... There's a, there are a lot of interesting uh, facts about genealogies that I didn't know just as um, we wind up being related to in antiquity far more people than we ever would have imagined by virtue of just how family trees actually work. Tamar played the prostitute to get Judah to do what he should do. She's there in the genealogy. Rahab ran a Canaanite cat house where the spies went to get the lay of the land. And of course, Rahab hangs the, the crimson thread and her and her family are saved when the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. She's mentioned in the genealogy. Ruth the Moabitess um, basically helps rescue struggling Israel by, in many ways, um, reviving a family that will go to David. Now, the three sort of stakeholders, and then Bathsheba, uh, um, who, of course, David slept with, and David killed her husband, is also noted. So, of course, there's, there's not sort of a sweeping under the rug here of, of women. Um, the, the sexual aspect of all of these four women is fairly predominant in their stories. Ruth, less so. Ruth, it's much more implied, but, of course, Ruth, who comes, who is barren, at least in terms of her first marriage, comes and with Boaz produces a child, and that then leads to David. Key in this genealogy is, of course, the, the main figures who are Abraham, David, and Jesus. Abraham as the father of nations and the father of uh, Israel. David, who is very much the savior of Israel, and now Jesus. I really see in these genealogies sort of the story of Israel in three panels. First, from Abraham to David. Israel goes from a wandering Aramean and now inherits a kingdom. There were slaves in Egypt, and there's, there's nothing in the genealogy really about Egypt. There were slaves in Egypt. They're promised a land. They lived in slavery in their own land to various groups, including the Philistines. And David, of course, delivers is the deliverer, and he rescues God's people from their enemies. And for the first time under David, really, Israel becomes the kind of kingdom 
that many had wished it would be. In fact, it becomes sort of a minor empire subjugating the lands around her, subjugating Moab and Ammon and the Philistines and Edom. David becomes a regional, really a regional empire and is sort of at the top of all of the surrounding nations. And, and so the first, the first story from Abraham to David is really sort of the climb up through all of that up and to the top. The second has a list, of course, of kings. And you can find many of these kings if you read Kings or Chronicles. And, of course, this, this genealogy is stylized. So it's 14, 14, 14. And, of course, 14 is 2 times 7. 7, of course, is the perfect number. So it's highly stylized. And this is kind of the easy part of the genealogy. If you look at, well, these names I these names we can sort of track down and find. But what's interesting is that the kingdom really reaches its peak with David and Solomon, and it's sort of a bumpy ride downhill leading to exile. If David was supposed to bring kingdom come. Well, it certainly didn't last. Uh, Solomon um, definitely had problems. You can read about that in the book of 1 Kings or Chronicles. And, and in fact, under Rehoboam, Israel is split in two, and you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so this follows, of course, Judah. Judah is, of course, in the genealogy, but he's not, um, he's not highlighted. Tamar, in fact, is sort of highlighted with Judah as Perez and uh, Perez's brother, Perez and Zerah. But this is in many ways a story of decline, and it's a story of warning that this the second the second element of the genealogy is about kingdom lost, and it ends with exile. And now a question that lingers on is. Will the exile actually really end? Because after the exile, well, okay, they come back and you find, again, a few memorable names that you can find in some of the post-exilic books, uh, Sheltiel, Zerubbabel. A remnant returns, but Israel remains scattered among the nations and set into empires. Of course, the Persian Empire, which takes out the Babylonian Empire, the Greek Empire, which will take out the Persian Empire and replace it. And, and then Israel actually has a little period of independence, but those individuals aren't mentioned here. There are no Maccabees. There are no Hasmoneans. Um, there's, there's no sense in this third piece about any regaining kingdom because, of course, Israel would, Judah would fall back into exile. Now, a lot of this history, a lot of people who just read the Bible don't know because a lot of this history, history actually happens in the intertestamental period. Um, and during the Maccabean revolt, you can, if you look at Hanukkah, also celebrated this time of year, you can see that the Jews, in fact, had a successful uprising rising against the Seleucid Greeks who were dominating the area and for a while maintained a degree of independence. But infighting brought in the loss of that independence 
and eventually brought in the Romans. And the dominant figure who would then would follow is this man on this, on this family tree called Herod the Great. And he marries Mariamne, and in that way trying to marry into the Jewish nation. But he himself is an Edomite. So the ruler of God's holy land and God's holy people are clients of the Roman Empire. And the children of Mariamne and Herod the Great actually go and are raised and are living in Rome and very much are at least as much Roman as they are Hebrew or Judean. And in fact, when Herod the Great decides he wants to kill them, um, many of them survive because they're sort of out of his grasp. Rome decides who will sit on what thrones and who will get to rule what. Herod the Great is the most dominant figure in this group. He wants to be a messianic figure. And so he, rem he remodels the temple, but he's not really a Jew and he's never really accepted by the people. He is seen as what he was, a really successful Roman collaborator and someone whose power basically comes from Rome. He himself is, he's able to, through all the varying various coups that happen in the empire, he's able to sort of switch horses multiple times to stay in power over God's holy land and God's holy people. He's not a son of Abraham, and he's not a son of David. Matthew 2, which we won't read today, also focuses quite a bit on Herod. You have the visit of the Magi, and they visit Herod, and Herod quite coyly says, well, let me know, this new king of the Jews, let me know when you find him so I can come and worship him too. But of course, his goal is not to worship, his goal is to maintain his own power. He feels threatened by this prophecy that come from the Magi. And so Herod orders the murder of the boy babies of Bethlehem, two years old and under. And this is very much echoes of the murder of the boy babies of Israel in Egypt. And this sets Herod up as, well, another imperial, bloodthirsty ruler. Last week we talked a little bit about the Davidic themes. And we noted that while David, in fact, was the savior of Israel, he was not allowed to build the temple because, of course, his hands were so bloody. Solomon gets the distinction of building the temple. And so Herod and Pharaoh are very much tied, but there's something about David that sort of echoes in this. Yes, David, through David, God saved his people, but it was bloody work indeed. And there's some resonance between the little empire of Israel and the larger empires that have abused and dominated Israel. Joseph, Mary, and the boy are warned in a dream that Herod is seeking the boy's life, and so they flee to Egypt. And that then sets up the quote, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Jesus and his story will fulfill God's story that he's been writing through Israel. All through the Advent season, we have been looking at this question, how will God save? What do we mean by salvation? We saw Habakkuk who said, Lord, your people are corrupt. There's idolatry. There's injustice here in Judea. This is supposed to be your representatives here on earth. We have your temple. And the Lord says, 
I'm bringing the Babylonians. And Habakkuk says, is this really a promise? Is this really a solution? In Within the Persian Empire, again, God's holy people are being threatened by ancestral enemies and Esther and Mordecai rise to power and use the power of empire to secure the future prospects of God's holy people. Empire then is being used in order for the welfare of God's people to endure, but questions remain. Is this the kind of Messiah? And then, of course, last week we saw David. And those questions around, those questions go around David. And the line to David and then back to Abraham brings up the question, wasn't the promise to Abraham that all the world will be blessed through this line? How will, in fact, the world be blessed when David, well, did he bless the world? Yes and no. He also did so at the end of a sword. How will this Jesus save his people? How will this Jesus bring about the fulfillment of God's plan through Israel to the world. Now, all the anxiety in the Christmas cartoons very much set up the very human frustration and the very human situation where God's story seems again and again to have reached an impasse. Some of the videos I did this week, there's all sorts of hand-wringing about well, the world is getting worse and the nation is less Christian and, and, and how, in fact, can Christians address these kinds of conflicts? been having very interesting conversation with some new Jewish friends, some of them who live in Israel, and they're, they're noting that, well, here the Jews have in one way or another at least a degree of control over the land and the religious groups have never been stronger. Isn't this supposed to be kingdom come? How is this supposed to work? And here, again, another year, and we wonder, wow, 2020 brought unwelcome surprises. 2022 brought unwelcome surprises. What will 2023 bring? One of my favorite quotes from Tom Holland, the author of the book Dominion, whose cover I often use in my sermon using Salvador Dali's depiction of Christ and the world, noted this in the book, in the Gospels. Imagine you've got to write a story in which for the first time, someone who suffered the excruciating death of a slave is going to be cast as being in some way part of the creator God who's fashioned everything and he's got to be convincing not just to people now, but for 2,000 years and across the whole span of the world. It's really an astonishing thing to have pulled off as a literary feat and that four people did it is amazing. And of course, what holds those four people in common is they're all writing about the same man. They're all writing about this Jesus. Abraham, David, Jesus. Kingdom gained, kingdom corrupted, kind of a shadow time where Israel cannot have a kingdom. And what is the message that Jesus brings when he comes? Well, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We live, I think I'm going to rearrange these slides. 
Jesus frames his message in terms of God's kingdom. Israel's king is Israel's God is her king. Jesus is God's son, the prince come to restore the kingdom. This is fulfillment of Abraham, that the whole world will be blessed through him. Jesus is a new and better David. And Jesus is quite opposites, Herod, opposite Herod the Great and the Herods that will follow him. Jesus is a new way in bringing in kingdom into this blood-soaked world. We live, in an, we live in a very unstable world. This was true in the ancient world, and it's true of us today. We should be grateful for the amazing amounts of affluence and stability we enjoy, um, but yet we can't seem to unsee it like this little cartoon. Do you remember when the ball just gently dropped on the new year? COVID cases 2020 into 2021. 2021 economy into 2022, and 2022 inflation into 2023. That is how this world is. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus comes to us in the middle of this uncertainty. Repent means change. In Jesus, something new is breaking through. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven has come near. What does that mean? Is available is not far away, and has not fully come quite yet either. Happy New Year.